This episode of Repod is brought to you by SEO Orb, Buzzshot, Recon, and Patreon supporters like you. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod, your lifeline when you need a getaway from the real world. I'm David Spira, alongside my co-host, BG Law. Together, we're exploring immersive gaming from all angles, and we'll be joined by guests who really know their stuff. Today's guest is Sarah Zhang, co-founder of the Bay Area Ome Escape franchises, with locations in San Jose, Richmond, and Sunnyvale. Sarah and her team are also the creators of Pursuit of the Assassin Artist, one of the finest and most celebrated online escape games of the pandemic era. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, David. Thank you, PG. I'm I'm so honored to be here. You guys are one of my favorite escape room bloggers. I'm also a listener, so I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you. We're thrilled to have you. Omescape, you guys blew us away with Pursuit of the Assassin Artist. And so when we were trying to figure out who do we want to have on to talk about the production of a really top tier virtual escape game, you were tip top of the list. And we were so excited that you said yes. Wow, <laughs> thanks. To be honest, when we first created the game, we never expect this much of like great feedback. We were actually pretty worried about our game in the beginning. And even after the beta test, we're like, is it is this fun? Like, we're not sure. <laughs> You're being so humble. Your game is so exciting and innovative. And even before I had ever played your game, there was already a lot of chatter and discussion about like, you know, this whole playing escape rooms virtually. It was fun and it was fun to be able to do rooms in faraway locations, rooms that maybe I would never make it to in person. And so playing them through an avatar, having that actual kind of real life experience was fun. But after a couple of them, you realize there's a lot of potential in this new medium and people really weren't pushing the boundaries or the possibilities of what you could do that you, you couldn't do in a real life escape room. And so that's what made your game so fun and exciting. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Before we make the game, we played about five or six different types of virtual games. Some are like avatar-led, just making a regular escape game into an online one. And we also played something like apparently they, they created something new for the online content that we really enjoy. So we definitely feel like some rooms are great, but they could be awesome if we actually play them in person. And some games are even pretty fun to play online. Uh, Miss Jezebel and Agent November. And man, that avatar is so funny. We just love interact with him. We learn a lot from other escape games. They said what is fun to do and what is mm, just okay. And when we create one, we were thinking about like transfer one of our uh, regular one into an online one. But then we were like, that is not really fun. This is like an okay room. Maybe okay during COVID, but we want to create something that even after COVID, it's pretty like attractive. It's still pretty fun. So we are thinking about like, what's something unique we could do that you couldn't do in person, but you can totally do it virtually. And then we thought about the, the Popstar game uh, from Scrap. I said, oh, that was pretty fun. That's Popstar Room of Doom. Oh, yes. Great. Yeah, yeah I forgot their full name. I just, we just <laughs> called it Popstar. <laughs> <laughs> I think sadly, they, I think they closed. That's pretty sad. They did. Popstar Room of Doom was a really unusual game because it was a time loop game. If you've ever played something like Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, you'll know what that is. But even that's a little bit obscure. So I'll break it down for you. Basically, every time you played it, you played until you failed. And then time looped back on itself. And you went into the center of the room, you put on blindfolds, and the game master reset the entire space around you to zero. And then you had to go and start again. And you had 10 time loops to finish the game. 
not 60 minutes. It actually worked out a little bit longer. And there were actors and there were all sorts of different tricks and all sorts of weird leaps of logic you had to make to try and save this pop star that you were a huge fan of from being killed. This is a physical room in Scrap San Francisco location. For me, when I played it, I walked out saying this needs to be a genre and one game isn't a genre. So I was super excited when Pursuit of the Assassin Artist made a second time loop game. Yeah, now I think about it, I think they are they have some similarity with virtual games because you are not actually in the pop star's room. You're actually like their neighbors. So you're looking at the pop star through like, I remember it's two big glasses. So you can't really touch them or change anything in the room, but you can change whatever in your side. And also you can make the phone call to tell her what to do or to warn her about things. So it's it's like a virtual game, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, it's got like a rear window vibe where you're looking out and you're helpless to stop what's going to happen to this pop star. So you have to try and figure out how can you affect what's going on in their apartment across the way. And I've loved that structure. I've wanted more escape room companies to explore with it. (laughs) Just before this interview, I was just thinking to myself, how would you ever run something like Pursuit of the Assassin Artist in real life? What would that entail? So I guess that makes sense that you blindfold them while they reset it. Is that what they would do? Yeah. Also, it was scrap. So the production value was pretty low. They didn't (laughs) put a lot of love into the set design. They put their effort into the gameplay and the game design. So there are very clear world breaks and the room you're in is very bare bones. There's only objects in there that you absolutely need. And it's supposed to be your apartment, but it definitely doesn't feel like any apartment anyone has ever lived in. Everything is there in service of this crazy mechanism that they dreamt up. My only wish is that they didn't put nine people in the game room because we're only two and they mix us with another seven and we can barely uh, hold on to anything. Yep. <laughs> we have to fight yeah. for each one. Yeah. We didn't have that many people, but I can imagine playing that with nine people would have been a struggle. Back to your game. Let's paint a picture for people who haven't played it. And if you haven't played Pursuit of the Assassin Artist, You probably should just pause this podcast, go book it, play the game, and then come back because we're not going to spoil it, but I think you'll appreciate this a lot more if you've played it, and you should. This is, I believe, the number one rated Terpica online game this past year. It received a golden lock from Room Escape Artist. If you're only going to play one virtual escape game, I think it should be Pursuit of the Assassin Artist, and I'm not just saying that because Sarah's here. My heart just melted. Oh, God. This is all part of the Reality Escape Pod's goal to make all of our guests blush. But but honestly, it's because we appreciate that you guys took a chance on something crazy. I don't know if you created the whole thing from scratch. It wasn't an adaptation of a real room. And the fact that you did something so different and put so much attention and detail into the sets, into the actor training, you thought out how everything worked. And we really appreciate that. So that's what we're here to showcase. Well, thanks. When we created, we we want something that could last longer than a year. So we built it from scratch, but I'm glad you didn't see the actual place because although compared to our regular game, it's actually still pretty basic. And uh, we are, I think we built it within two weeks and everything is actually like manually controlled. So we're so glad there's no like electronic or central control, which always cause some trouble. And uh, if we're talking about actor training, actually, I think because none of us are like acting major or familiar with theater stuff. So actually we got a lot of help 
from our actor staff. We definitely hired a lot of actors from this game because during COVID, all the theaters and amusement park are closed. So a lot of them are looking for another job. So we actually got a lot of actors. And I, I have to say, they just bring the game to a whole different level. They add all the like puns, jokes, and some camera moves try to scare people. And all these details, I think the game just getting better and better because of all the details they added. It's almost there's something new every week. Yeah, the avatars make a huge difference. I've played so many of these online games where the game itself in real life is probably an average mediocre room, but the avatar is what made it really fun. Having somebody that was playful, that was there to really host you and give you a good time. It makes all the difference for games like this. Yeah, definitely. And somehow after the game, you feel like there's a connection there. It's, mm -hmm. oh, this is our teammates. Oh, we, we had such fun. Like, oh, you guys are great. And you can totally tell the host actually put effort in the game because you are like with them like for 60 or 90 minutes. So you can totally tell if they're trying their best to make sure you have a good time. That's true. And the other thing about it is that if you're a really good escape room team, your game master becomes less and less relevant. Their job becomes more and more boring as the team just solves everything really quickly and doesn't need any help in a physical room. But in a virtual room, the more engaging and the more playful and the better a team is functioning with the avatar, it must make the job a lot more interesting because at least as a player, it certainly makes the, the role of playing with that player much more fun. Now we're worried like our staff won't really be happy going back to hosting regular games because <laughs> they had so much fun. Like they're always talking about, oh, you know, what did the last group do there? Like they have some really creative idea. And oh, man, they're awesome. That makes a lot of sense. I'll tell you, I went through a personal and this didn't actually plan to talk about this. I went through a personal shift through playing Avatar games where initially I was just playing to play the games. At some point, I switched my goal from solving puzzles and playing the game as a player to entertaining my avatar, my game master, I decided to try and engage and entertain them. And I found that doing that, I was having a lot more fun and my teammates were having a lot more fun. And the avatar was doing more crazy and more interesting things because <laughs> I was playing with them. And so I went through this like personal renaissance of the virtual escape game in the middle of quarantine where I'd started to get tired of them. And this completely changed the way they feel to me. And now I'm back to really enjoying them. Wow, you just created a new way to play an escape room. <laughs> it just made it so much more fun for me. And I enjoy hearing people laugh at my nonsense. I mean, it definitely having a good host really nudges it more into that immersive theater aspect of it than just it's now it's not just you as a player interacting with the room, you're interacting with the environment and another player. And that's really what makes it more engaging. And when I think about some of my favorite rooms that I've played over this past year, almost all of them are a two-man operation, right? There's the guy holding the camera, and then there's also the on-camera host. Games like Pursue of the Assassin Artist, where you have an actor that you can actually see and interact with, Miss Jezebel. What was that, that British game? The Exorcist, who also had an amazing on-screen host, so funny, so believable. And one of my favorite, yes, David, you're right. Like One of my favorite parts is basically maybe not so much entertaining the host, but ordering them around is, has really been my favorite part. And the people, and like both of these hosts, the hosts where they're like, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, you're doing it, buddy. 
Uh, that has actually been the most enjoyable part for me. But I do agree that this is a whole new genre. This whole blending of escape rooms and immersive theaters is really exciting. And then Sarah, with your game, where now you're bringing in video game component as well. For me, this is the holy <laughs> trifecta of all the things that I love and enjoy. And that's what made me like your game so much. Yeah, talking about video games, I think it's funny for people who never play video games. It's a little bit hard for them to understand what, what is going on right now. And even when they see some achievement, which means for just like Easter egg, just to have fun. But they're like, oh, is that a clue? Is that a clue? There must be a clue. And their teammates <laughs> who actually play video games. Oh my, this is, oh, you never play games. This is typical video game thing. Okay? So you're talking about in-game achievements, right? So it's congratulations, you made 100 kills. Or like, I'm not sure, I don't remember exactly which are the ones you have in your game. I don't want to spoil them for people because these are things that you can get a little kind of, acknowledgement or prize for when you accomplish a certain something in the game. Yeah, we actually learned that from, from Agent November. I think they did it. And, and we think like, oh my God, this is hilarious. Especially we're gamers. So we're like, oh, we didn't expect to see this. It's not really a part of the main game. It's more like some funny things people do in the game room, like you would typically do in the escape room. Just, just those sort of things. It was a really clever idea. It also gave you a nice way to transition out of character death back to the start of the loop. Sarah, Pursuit of the Assassin Artist is one of the few pandemic masterpieces of the escape room world. Without spoiling anything major, can you tell us a little bit about this game, how it's structured and how it came about? Sure, I'll try not to spoil anything. You will be, oh, I know this sounds cheesy, you'll be some like a special agent and you got a mission to kill this assassin artist. But something interesting is you're not doing it yourself. You're actually like a supporting team to a field agent who is not the smartest one. On a mission to kill this assassin artist, you might fail. And by fail, we mean the agent would die. But we will kind of have some mechanic that uh, the agent can actually relieve and revive so you can start over. But with all the knowledge you gained from the previous life, you can make different choices or do better this time. So the whole game is built on this multiple life video game like mechanic. And it's a virtual game. So you other than looking at the screen, you can also do like online research or do something out of the box kind of to uh, make it more fun. Okay, did I spoil anything? Yeah, I, I, I think you, you nailed right. it. <laughs> So at what point in the pandemic did you decide you were going to be creating your own game? We were close in March and we waited three months before we finally decided because we are, oh, I guess we we're too naive. We we're hoping like, oh yeah, maybe this pandemic will be done within three months. Let's keep working on our regular game. We, we were all too naive. <laughs> Optimistic. <laughs> let's, let's call it that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we keep talking about like our family and friends in China. And then we're like, okay, let's see. Based on their experience, probably after three or four months, we'll be able to reopen. And then in July, and we were like, this is not getting better. We better do something to pay our rent and <laughs> make sure we can still survive. That's when we actually started. I think other people just move so fast. They already have like tons of great games up there. We read uh, a lot of reviews, of course, and then we picked the ones. It looks great. And then I think we played, I believe it's five or six games. And the first thing we decided would be the something unique, which you have mentioned is a time looping. And the second one is a set would be something unique. And then we are thinking about, oh, we haven't done like an artist set. And seems like a 
art studio would be a, a fun thing to do. And also we have tons of art stories. Maybe you can embed it in the mm. room. So that's where we started to build the room. And then we just add like different cool interaction or fun interaction we can think about. We just throw it in there. And when we first started building it, we actually aimed to have a 60 minutes game. But after several testing, we're like, okay, this is not going to be a 60 game mm -hmm. at all. <laughs> so that's why we extended to 90 minutes because we were a little worried that like, can people actually focus on a screen for 90 minutes or two hours? Because sometimes we, we couldn't, like sometimes during a 60 minutes game, we were like uh, wandering around and doing our own stuff because you can never stop people from like texting or checking like social media during a virtual game. So you have to grab their attention every like 10 minutes. You got to have something that draw their attention to it. They're like, oh, oh, what's that? Let me take a look at this. I think we lost the feeling of, okay, is the game really good? Okay, or just so-so. I mean, we couldn't tell from the beginning. And it's only like you guys' feedback give us a lot of confidence. Okay, now we can pretty happy to say like, oh, you got to try our game. It is fun. And some people said it's even better than in-person game. So that's basically our creating process. I'm so glad that you went and created something unique. I had written, I think it was in April of last year, I had written a piece that where I pretty much had said that I thought that the future of this medium, this virtual escape game, wasn't in slapping a camera onto a game master and having them walk around and beat your hands. It was in creating something that was designed to be played over the internet instead of trying to retrofit. And I basically spent the past year looking for that. That's the stuff that's been exciting to me. And so when we played Pursuit of the Assassin Artist, and the funny thing about it is I didn't know when we went in, is this a real life room that was adapted? Or is this something that was built specifically for it? Because I have to admit, I just sign up for the games that people tell me I really should check out. I don't do any background reading. I try not to go in with any preconceived notions. I don't even usually look at the website and Lisa pays for everything. So I don't even know what things cost. I don't know whether we get a <laughs> discount or not. I just show up and I play. I have a really weird life. And so I, I drop into this thing and it was, and the first time we died, I was like, wait, what just happened? And then we, we booted back up at the start of the game and I, okay, I'm into this. And the more we played, the more excited I was that you also had ways for us to shortcut. We weren't just constantly living the exact same time loop. We really could use the knowledge that we had learned to bypass portions of the game and whole branches of it, which was so clever. And it kept the game from being repetitive because I think 90 minutes of doing the same things over and over again would have driven me mad. You guys made a lot of really smart decisions. Even having people die pretty early on in the game was super smart because people don't stress out about it. You know what I mean? Because you have an idea of the concept, yeah. but because it happens, so you're like, oops, there it is. And now we're trained. Now we know what to do with something simple. And so your on-ramping was beautifully done for something that is a kind of complicated concept. Oh, thanks. Oh, uh, well, my God, you got all of our design point. I feel like you guys totally know when we're thinking when adding some part in the, in the game. I know as a game ourselves, we love this like time looping things, but we just hate doing repetitive stuff. The idea sounds great, but eventually you got to do something repetitive. So you have the feeling about, oh, I'm leaving this life again. So we're trying to shorten it as much as possible. Even probably 30 seconds of repetitive stuff, people are like, oh my God, are we going to do this again? And they'll feel frustrated. For me, the first time we started to loop, I was thinking, oh, no, where is this going to go? 
And then the second time we started to loop, I realized I think I was I had suggested to the team like, hey, let's just do this. And it worked. And we bypassed the branch. And it was like the Grinch. Like my heart grew three sizes that day. (laughs) 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 There's this sort of pleasure in for just a moment thinking that something is going to be terrible and then finding out, oh, no, it's not. It's really well thought out. It's actually great. Having that fear of, oh, no, the consequences are terrible. And then realizing, no, we've actually grown as players. And this game actually allows us to have grown, which I I think is such a cool thing. This episode is brought to you by SEO Orb, a digital marketing company focused on the escape room industry. When we first met Piyush, I asked him a question about metrics. I asked him how he judges success, because I know a lot of SEO companies that will just tell you, oh, well, we'll make numbers go up. Anyone can make numbers go up. You can pay people to click on a website. His answer to me was, the metric for success is when my customer says, give me more of what you're doing. This is having a positive effect on my business. And that, honestly, that's the answer. All of the metrics in the world are not going to go and change the fact that you need the numbers on your website to translate into sales. That's how you know it's working. So that's what sold me on Piyush, and it's why I think you should give him a call and have a chat with him, see if he's right for your business. You can learn more at seoorb.com. Details in the show notes. I know Omescape is a franchise, was this developed in-house or was the franchise involved? A hundred percent in-house. We were pretty proud. Oh, finally, we proved ourselves. We actually uh, played the game. We made like a, a Chinese version for the Omniscape China team. And I think they definitely had fun. And later they were like, oh, actually, we're in a meeting room. There are about like 20 people watching you uh, perform. And I was like, what? Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't realize it's almost Escape is a Chinese franchise. Uh, yes, oh. yes. I think it's like back to 2014. We, we were thinking about starting an escape room, but we have no idea where to start. None of us have any electronic or any related experience. So we actually like, went back to China. We played several and said, oh, maybe you can learn something from them and that'll be a good start. So that's how we started. That leads us to the next question, which is you are one of the earliest escape room owners in the United States. And I'm curious what your escape room origin story is. How did you find this medium of entertainment? We go back to China like every year. And I think it's 2013. And I went back and I played my first escape room with several of my friends. I still remember that room is really bare minimum. has nothing in it. <laughs> a very basic room. And we were totally lost. In uh, We actually started like, trying to open their windows and try to tear up their wallpaper. Oh, the good old days. Yeah. But after that, I was like, oh my God, I've never experienced something like this. This is brand new to me and it's really fun. And But it's funny, I checked the Wikipedia and Wikipedia said, oh, escape room first started in Japan and then to Silicon Valley. I was like, oh, cool, it's in Silicon Valley. I'm going to play some when I get back. But I finally come back. I was like, oh, there's nothing here. It's, uh, I remember it's only a scrap mm-hmm. in, in San Francisco. And there's nothing fun as this. I was like, oh, what a loss. Like, people have to know this is so much fun. So that is how we started. Did you play these escape room video games before this? I did. But uh, actually, to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of escape room video games. Usually I, I could play them for like an hour and then like puzzle get too hard and then I give up on them. Our whole team, none of us are really like 
puzzle people. So it'd be funny when we play other escape rooms, we usually can't <laughs> escape. <laughs> We're just regular players. But I think it definitely helps. We try to add more elements that's not hardcore puzzles, something regular customers can enjoy. I have a fun fact for you. Mm-hmm. We've mentioned on the show that Room Escape Artist was created on our friend's couch in San Francisco the day after we played Scraps Escape from the Time Travel Lab. Oh. <laughs> we took our friends, we got our friends hooked, and we were sitting on their couch looking for another game to play. And that next game was the Omega Room at your Richmond location. So the first official Room Escape Artist review written for the site was actually your game way back in August of 2014. Yay. I think that that's how I, I found your blog. Because when I first opened, we were pretty nervous. Like, oh, how people think about our game? And then I think we read our your review. And we we're like, Ooh, whoa, someone has a review about us. We had a lot of fun playing your game. Sarah, I'm thrilled to hear that you still go back to China every year and play the games there. Because David has mentioned before about the escape room culture in China and how it's a little bit different or unique than, say, escape room culture here in the U.S. And so I'm really curious about your perspective on that. Is there a big difference about the escape room cultures in China versus here that you've noticed? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think we are similar to like three years ago, what was in China like three years ago. But now I think, to be honest, I didn't really like the changing. But uh, I think now escape rooms are so popular. They are now facing mass majority of the population. I would say most of the game has almost zero puzzle solving element. It's more about the settings getting like crazier and crazier. I know some of the big expensive rooms, they have the, you need to go down to water, jump down from a, a really tall mountain, and then you got like swim and you have food in the game room. It's like going all crazy. So I would say currently in China, most of the games are like horror or at least light horror related. And also it's way more acting or just having simple fun than puzzle solving. Because I think just before COVID, we went back and we played about like 20 different games. And oh my God, we're so good at the puzzles there. Like puzzles are so easy. It sounds almost like they've become less of an escape room, more of an immersive experience. Yeah, I would say that's that's more like it, more about experience. And I think nobody really care about winning or losing or the time frame because they assume it's like a movie. You watch the whole thing. You won't worry about, do I have enough? time for this and for that i mean there are still some puzzle solving as we said like some mechanic rooms but most of them are pretty small the owners it's probably the same investment you could either choose the setting or have some really complicated mechanic things but choose the setting it's easier for player to see and also if players are not good at puzzles there's no problem with them talking with the actors and got scared but they do have some creative ideas and have some huge investment um, i think one of them actually rented out like a whole hotel you can play for eight hours it's like a combination of murder mystery puzzle solving and you can have two meals so is it like it, so it's a hotel that you stay in and then this hotel has 20 different rooms escape experiences inside it it's for a small building but you probably have 20 players each of you will have a role and you're actually playing one game in this whole place with other people probably another 10 different actors so you can if you're like you are traveling back in history and you have different roles some of you might be a spy some of you might be like you're a doctor you're a teacher you're a military person and you have oh have you played sleep no more i, I haven't but david has <laughs> yes yeah, yeah yeah so it's like that you are like in the whole building and there are different scenes happening 
uh, in this building, but uh, just adding more interactive things to it. Like you can talk to the actor and you can actually change how things happen. And you can go to find some secret rooms, find some like hidden objects here and there. Never played it. It's all from my friends. Sounds like <laughs> so much fun. We're going to have a session at Recon this year, August 22nd and 23rd, that is going to be dedicated to the Chinese escape room market. We're going to have stats and stories and photos oh. and video. There's some really interesting stuff here. So you can learn about that at realityescapecon.com. Yeah, wow. we're really excited to present that session. Oh, you're truly a global summit. <laughs> we're trying real hard. We're trying so hard. Ever since I discovered this idea of different flavors of escape rooms, like different regional flavors, different countries, but even here in the U.S., it's... I find it so interesting to, to see what all the different flavors are. Now I have to taste all of them. I had one more question for you about Pursuit of the Assassin Artist. What proportion of the games at your Ohm Escape locations have been developed in-house versus coming from the Ohm Escape franchise? It's actually different game by game. So for some game, mm -hmm. like the Chaos in the Galleria, I think we kept like probably three puzzles from the original game and then we totally changed everything else. And I would say for newer games, we probably change average of 60, 70% of the game. <laughs> so mm -hmm. if you, if anyone play the game in China and play here, they are almost uh, completely different games. We learn more during all these years. And sometimes we just get, oh, this would be a good idea or a structure from the China's team. And then we basically develop our own. And almost all the props are made in-house. So we just rented like a huge storage and workshop just before COVID, which is not a smart <laughs> business decision. <laughs> Does the success of Pursuit of the Assassin Artist mean that we're going to see more physical or digital games developed entirely by your team? I would say yes. I think the uh, Kingdom of Catastrophe, one of our cat-themed one in Sunnyvale, it is 100% in-house. And also we are developing a, a weird, uh, how would you describe it, like a vintage robot game. It's not like a sci-fi side, but more like a funny, silly robot side. So we're trying to do something new there. And uh, no spoiler, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Do you guys plan on continuing Pursuit of the Assassin Artist even past quarantine? Is that going to be a staple of your company now? Yes. As long as there are still bookings, we'll definitely try to keep it. And I think surprisingly, we actually got a lot of emails from players asking, are you going to make the second virtual game? Like, we're totally into it. So looking forward. Can't wait for it. And we were like, oh my God, so much pressure. We actually did thinking about making a, a second virtual game. Uh, so I think it's right after we played there's a game in Florida that you can actually uh, control what happened in the rooms on your computer. You can control the light changing. Something unique about that game is you have different people have different screen and you can each control part of the game room. And we thought, oh, the idea is like super cool. I think all they're missing is some like reaction from the game because there's no actor. And then for a while, we're thinking like, wait, is this a real game? Are we controlling? Is this just a video? Like, is this even real? <laughs> There's a couple games that have had that mechanic where each player controls something on screen differently. Mm -hmm. And I think it's such a great part of digital escape rooms. The Vanishing Act had that where each player has to control a different aspect of a puzzle, which I think is so great for a digital escape room because it forces everyone to 
bottleneck and participate in one puzzle, right? It's not one person solving the puzzle. You can't solve it unless everybody does their part. And this way, everybody gets to experience the puzzle together. And I, I think it's such a fun mechanic. Yeah, definitely. It's, I think it's definitely fun. You feel like at least you contribute to the team, like you did yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. So after playing that game, we're actually thinking about our second game could be you can control something in the room, but you are more like you're actually ghost. So the actor in the room will actually be scared by, by by whatever you did. And then you can use this maybe like change of lights or change of something to manipulate how the actor works. Oh, I love this. Yeah, idea sounds great. We're like planning it for a whole month. But uh, it seems that we don't have enough content or I, I don't know, I've just stopped. The idea is there. Someone please make a room like that. <laughs> I love that idea so much. I would say sit on the idea until you can do it right. And okay. uh, if someone else comes up with it, but I, there's something there for sure. Project Avatar has these amazing video overlays where you'll walk into a room and they have created a video that is something weird, something happening in the room with a special effect. And it is filmed in exactly that room from the same position that you're seeing. And it's so seamless, this transition that you're seeing this whole video. And then all of a sudden it stops and you're back with the live avatar. And I wish more people did stuff like that. Like there could be a really cool special effect that they could play as a video. Yeah. For escape room owner, if they want to build that virtual game, we have a lot to learn from like theater people and also broadcasting, like how to do this camera, how to make the light. I want to give a special thank you to one of our sponsors, Buzzshot, creators of Telescape, software for creating and operating your digital escape rooms. The first time I learned about Telescape was playing Atlantis by Escape One Algarve. It's an avatar-led digital escape room, and it was a fun game. The thing that stood out to me the most was how amazing their inventory system was. Everything was in one place. There was an audio cue when an item automatically populated in it, and it was so easy to manage my inventory. I was actually so impressed that I asked around just to find out what was the software they use, because I was like, I don't want to play any games that don't use the same interface. And it was Telescape, my favorite. So I am so grateful to them for supporting us and being one of the sponsors of this podcast. You can learn more at telescape.com details in the show notes. Sarah, you have a background in finance and financial analysis. I'm curious to hear how you feel the business side of the escape room world has changed since 2014. Good question. Wow. Nobody asked me that question before. I gotta think about it. Specifically, I'm thinking the business side because you were in, in an early day when the finances, the startup capital was so much lower back in 2014. The level of complexity was much lower. And the industry has changed a lot. And I'm curious to hear your take on what makes these businesses viable. If you were starting up today, what would you be doing differently than in 2014? Can I start from the pricing from public to private. We were actually public booking in the beginning. And then we just, business-wise, of course, public going to make more money. And But in terms of like players experience wise because we just seen so many bad experience from mixing groups most groups are okay mixing with other players but you always have some really tough to deal with players who don't share anything at all so we definitely seen too many of those experiences that's why we decided to move back to private booking definitely the revenue will be a little bit lower but it's all about the experience right if players have a bad experience they're not coming back this is even a bigger loss for us 
I think recently, because we do private booking, and I think we learned the pricing structure from AOE games. Especially if you have less players, the price per player would be much higher, especially to compensate the company because they only have two people. And if you only pay like $30 per person, like the company barely make any money from you guys. So we learned that structure and we're pretty happy to see. It seems like more companies are like moving to these routes. And I also know some other people do things like if you have two people, you got to mix with other groups. But if you reach the minimum number of players, you can have the room for yourself. I think that's also a good approach. It's a trade-off between experience and revenues. I think it's also based on location because we played the escape game in San Francisco and we realized the reason they have public booking is that actually a lot of tourists will actually play their games. So for tourists, it's really hard for them to find a larger group. So I think it makes sense in their region. As tourists, and I've done this traveling alone, it is really hard to do a room solo. So that's why public bookings are fun. I mentioned before, I bought a ticket to a public room thinking, I'll just join in with a bunch of other people. And I was the only person playing and I felt so bad. I only paid like $20 for this ticket and it was just me. And the game master was kind enough to let me basically phone a friend. My Mm -hmm. escape room team at home, like I was the avatar. I was sending them videos and (laughs) pictures and they helped me solve the puzzles remotely. That's a fun model too. (laughs) And talking about the business side, I feel like when we first started, I saw you have the passion for the game. That's pretty much enough because the initial cost is really low and also people's expectation is really low. As you remember, people are impressed by this bookshelf can open. Wow, how amazing is that? (laughs) But I think it's only probably lasts for about two years. From 2014 to now, there's a lot of escape rooms like open and closed. And I think in the beginning, we definitely see some rooms. You can definitely tell they are just here to make money. And you can actually feel like how much effort they put into the room. And I think now they're all gone. I think right now, if you want to start an escape room, I think only passion is not enough. You got to have the skills. And also you got to have the proper expectation. I know especially in Bay Area, people talking about, oh, you have a small business, like you start your own business, you have a startup. I said, okay, wait a second. That's not the same here. So I guess for escape rooms, it's hard to make you a millionaire or, oh, we can go public someday. And I know maybe someday some company can, but it's not in the recent few years. So I would say like other than passion, you also got to, for now, because all the room quality is great. So you got to have the skill, you got to have the right people to build and maintain everything. And you also have got to make the right business decision, like for your rents, find the good location and find the proper rent and deal with the city and with the permit and everything like that. For me, myself, to be honest, it's less fun than before because there's a lot more business stuff I need to worry on. So for puzzle design or game design, it's probably only 15% or 20% of my time. Other time is all about how to managing people. Oh, the toilet got clocked again and uh, what's going on with our neighbors and customer had this and that different request and you got to train new stuff and things like that so it's definitely more like a business for now but i don't really see anyone who can survive in this industry without the love of escape rooms all the game owners who have been open games for longer than two or three years they all share the passion for escape rooms they all love talking about it and excited to play new games So that's definitely what I see in common. And also I'm pretty lucky in this industry. I think we're definitely better than what restaurant or boba tea place. Like uh, (laughs) people are just like basic competitors and someone just like, I'm trying to make some money. I don't have to have a passion for boba tea. 
But uh, <laughs> for escape rooms, you can definitely find, I would say probably almost everyone have this passion, this love, and they do care about the whole industry. They want everyone to grow together. So I'm really lucky to be an escape room owner. I love everything you just said. And every once in a while, someone writes into Room Escape Artist looking for advice. And sometimes we get an email from someone and they say something like, thinking about starting a business. I'm not sure whether I'm going to open up a Dunkin' Donuts franchise or open an escape room. I'm like, just stop right there. Just go open the Dunkin' Donuts franchise. <laughs> if you have to think about it, yeah. if you don't <laughs> love this, if you don't want to dedicate yeah. all of your waking moments to creating something interesting and innovative and fun, don't even think about it. Because uh, you have to do all of the businessy stuff you have to do to run the Dunkin' Donuts. You pretty much have to do that for the escape room also. And the product isn't being handed to you to serve your guests you're constantly having to refine and it's so hard it's so much work i don't know how you guys do it like you have to be everything you have to find and train staff who not only is customer facing but now they also have to be actors uh, they have to also know how to game master which is i think that is a skill and talent in and of itself knowing how to give the right nudges how to be able to read people until this group probably needs a little bit extra help. This group looks like they don't want any help. And to be able to read that and give uh, the proper types of clues, like customized to that group, uh, game mastering alone is just such a talent. And then having to run these games, you have to, yeah, run the business. Oh, I, I couldn't even imagine. And then what, like the stuff that you guys are doing, which is so innovative, so different, you took 10 different risks with Pursuit of the Assassin Artist. You know what I mean? With the From the mechanic, to the setting, having to innovate each time and come up with something new. I, I, it's, I don't even know how you guys do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It's, yeah, Game Master is definitely like really important in this game, especially the virtual game. So I guess we were, I guess we were pretty lucky we find the right people. We're definitely looking for some people, even if they never played escape games before, at least they have a passion for either games or puzzles or customers. So I think it's most people on our team, they actually, they will regularly play like other escape rooms and they're going to share which games are good, which part is great. So I guess we have a pretty great team. What comes next for you and your team? Oh, what comes next? Other than keep building uh, regular games, we are going to make a, a puzzle box. I know it's probably too late because when I search online, there's like tons of puzzle box like play at home. Well, the first one actually is still from our Chinese team. I mean, they already made several like puzzle boxes, like puzzle books. So we're going to translate their books here. And I think it'll be probably ready within two months. And I'll definitely send you guys a copy. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. Another thing we're doing like during COVID, it just took us really long to uh, half a year to actually finish it the translation and also modifying part of the books. I mean, translating puzzles is hard. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. <laughs> I think it's all because of COVID. We're thinking of what if this happened again? We can't really take the risk of putting everything into in-person games. So we've got to explore a different revenue source just in case similar thing happened. So are you thinking a puzzle book is something similar to Journal 29, something like that? Something similar to that, but we're going to add more elements to it. It's more like a immersive, I would say. It's still like a detective story, but it's mainly on the story. And also we're going to have an app for that. You can actually talk to the avatar. I didn't mean real person. It's like a game. I can talk to them and they will show you what they found. And together you will figure out the mystery. So you get a box not only about the puzzles and also we try to embed the puzzles into the story. So it's not purely about the puzzle. It's like part of the story there. And we'll see how it goes. I love that. I love having something that I can play 
solo. Sometimes you can't always find a team or have time to. And I'm not a much of a movie or TV watcher, but I would sit at home and do a puzzle book in the evening. So I can't wait for that to come out. Great. And you're our target <laughs> customer. Uh, Sarah, where can people find you on social media? Facebook and Instagram would be the uh, best. Personally, I don't really post much on <laughs> Mm-hmm. On social media is mainly the companies. You'll be able to find those links in the show notes. The Reality Escape Pod is brought to you by RoomEscapeArtist.com, your home for well-researched, rational, and reasonably humorous escape room and immersive gaming content and events. If you're enjoying this podcast, an easy and free way to help support us is dropping a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and consider sharing it with a friend or two you think might enjoy it. If you want to do more, consider joining our Patreon community. We have an active Discord and offer all sorts of bonus content, including companion episodes with each episode of this podcast. The guests frequently join us for the bonus episodes. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash roomescapeartist. No matter how you choose to support us, we appreciate you listening to the podcast supports the podcast so thanks for that the reality escape pod is produced by lisa spira and edited by steve ewing of stand inside media we have a dark room you can't really see anything so it's mainly audio driven this audio is like a little girl talking to you and it's funny that i think one of our players is like so into the game and he started to talk back to the pre-recorded audio and and somehow it perfectly fit somehow all the pause is perfectly there and they're like talking back and forth and we're all laughing i was like oh my god this he's like such a genius how he did it <laughs> How he talk with a, a pre-recorded audio, and we're just so amazed by that. And after the game, we asked him like, "How did he feel?" He's like, "Wow, the the girl is is great. Is that a real person?" I was like, "Oh no, it's just an audio." But somehow you guys start talking with each other, and that is awesome. I think he he just made the whole experience way better. <laughs> <laughs>